This morning I've, I've titled the, the message New Testament Nobility. Now that, that term noble, that's not normally a, a term that, uh, that we hear in relation to people we meet in the New Testament, is it? We meet common people in the New Testament. We meet people who are um, distressed, people who are uh, not the upper crust of society, we might say. Today we're going to talk about some people in the New Testament who were referred to as, as, as noble. And that term noble, it, it's, it, it has the idea of something that's distinguished by rank or title, doesn't it? We think, when we think about noble, we think about aristocrats, don't we? We think about, um, uh, we might use a synonym of elite, the, the top layer of society. Again, that upper crust of society. And it's not normally associated with people in the New Testament. But in, in uh, Luke, in Acts chapter 17, he refers to some people, if you want to turn there, that uh, he refers to them as noble. And the idea there is, not so much that they were aristocratic, uh, but it, it's more like in the, in the context that we're going to see these people referred, were referred to as noble as more because they were well-mannered, better than the people around them in the, the surrounding communities. They were welcoming uh, to the Apostle Paul, we'll see as they went and they, they carried the gospel to them, the message to them. They were more approachable, and therefore Luke, when he wrote the, uh, the book of Acts, he said these people were more noble than the people around them. So we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 17 and verse 10, and we'll see who he's talking about here. It says, And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word of, or they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, also of honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached to Paul of Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. So we see some people. Uh, there's a reference to the people of Thessalonica who had caused trouble when Paul and his, his missionary team were preaching there. They left. They came to another town of Berea. The people there were more noble. They received the word of God. The people of Thessalonica heard it, and they didn't like it. So they came there and stirred up more trouble. And so the, the brethren there said, Paul, you need to leave. You're in danger here. Uh, so that's the story as we see here. But the Bereans are the ones that were referred to as uh, being more noble, uh, more noble, not normal, more noble. And so we'll look at that. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for allowing us to look into your word this morning. As we look at these, um, these folks in the town of Berea, these who were referred to as being more noble than those in Thessalonica, we pray that you teach us from their lives. There are things here we can see in this passage that we can learn from them. And we pray that you'd allow us to do that today. Capture our attention with your word, Father. We pray that we could be, would be able to set aside those things that might distract us, those things that would easily take our attention away. And Father, let us focus our word, our attention on your word and on the God that we serve. And we pray that you might instruct us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So the setting here is a little town called Berea. It's now referred to as Veria or Caravaria. It's a little town in what used to be southwestern Macedonia in the days of, of the uh, New Testament. Now that is modern, uh, what we would call northern Greece. 
So if you remember your map and your geography, those of us, some of us are older than others, we may not remember so much about geography, but we know where Greece is, right? So this is northern Greece is where we're talking about here. It was situated at the base of Mount Bermius, which is on the eastern slope of the Olympian mountain range. I think we probably all remember Mount Olympus too, don't we? That's the place where those uh, uh, the Greek gods were said to have lived. Those capricious gods who would be angry one minute and loving the next and casting thunderbolts and sinning just as much as, as anyone else in their behavior. We remember them, don't we? Well, that's, this is an area where they were living at the base of that mountain range. This town is only mentioned in the book of Acts. It's not mentioned anywhere else. And we think, oh, well, it must not be very important. It was mentioned in Scripture. To be mentioned in the New Testament only once gives some level of importance to it, doesn't it? There was something that the Lord wants us to learn from these people, or He wouldn't have mentioned them at all, would He? The, the occasion that we're looking at here is this is uh, Paul's second missionary journey. You remember he, he went the first time... Um, Paul and Barnabas were sent out and they, they carried the gospel to different cities and towns and they established churches. This is the second missionary journey. Sometime later when the idea was Paul would take uh, Silas and he took Timothy and he took uh, Luke, obviously was with them at times, and there may have been others, and they went to, to revisit some of these churches to see how they were doing. Paul he was concerned about them. He had, he had witnessed to them. He had seen some of them saved. Some, these were new churches, and he wanted to see these people. And so this is uh, the occasion. He's on the second missionary journey. And so we, we know where he is. We know why he's there. After several stops visiting these churches, the Holy Spirit made it clear that he didn't want Paul uh, to go one direction. He wanted him to go another. And if you're looking at a map of the, of the Middle East, Paul was headed into Asia Minor, which is now modern Turkey. Um, he had a vision from the Lord of, a, of someone in Macedonia saying, come and help us. And so when he got to that area, instead of, if you're looking at the map, instead of turning right to go into Turkey, he went left into Greece, into the area of Macedonia. And that's where, he's, where we find him here. Now, they went into what we know as Europe. They were the first people to carry the gospel into Europe. Now let that sink in. I think everyone in this room can say that our ancestors are from Europe. Aren't we glad that the gospel went there? The world could have been a much different place had Paul taken that into uh, Asia Minor, into Turkey, and continued on in a westward journey and left the, uh, the folks in Europe without the gospel message. Things could have been a lot different, couldn't they? So we can be very thankful that the, that the Holy Spirit led Paul in that direction. Now, they visited several towns before the Holy Spirit led them here to Berea. And that's where we're going to start here. But before we go any further, I want to just give a brief, <coughs> a brief uh, bit of information about the synagogue. Because when we're told here that when Paul and, and the others got to Berea, the first thing they did was they went to the synagogue to meet with the Jews. Now, the synagogue was, we know what it is, we, we basically know what it is, I guess. It was a place of worship, yes. But primarily, the synagogues had been established as a place of uh, I am sorry. It was a place of uh, learning. Uh, it, yes, they worshipped the, the, the Lord there, but they went there to learn of the Word of God more than anything else. Uh, their goal was to, that um, a greater knowledge of the Scriptures would result in greater obedience, and that in itself would lead them into further worship. 
And so the, these Jews, they had the right idea when they established the synagogues. Josephus, the Jewish historian, referred to them this way. He said, uh, the Jews come together weekly with a cessation of work to hear the law and to learn it accurately. That's a noble goal in itself, isn't it? To learn or to hear the law of God and to learn it accurately. We need that goal for ourselves when we come to the, to the house of the Lord. We want to, not only do we want to learn what Scripture says, we want to learn it accurately, don't we? And so we want to make sure that we're, we're paying close attention to the Word itself. Philo uh, called the synagogues houses of instruction where native philosophy was studied and every virtue taught. That again is a good, it's noble, isn't it? They were teaching the virtues that are found in the Word of God. Moses had adamantly commanded the Jews when they were getting ready to enter into the land after being delivered from the Egypt and wandering in the, in the desert, he commanded them, he was very adamant about it, to, stud, to teach the scriptures to every generation of children that were born to the Jewish families. He said, you've got to do that. You've got to make sure your children understand the word of God. You make sure they understand what the law is and what its requirements are. Because if they fail to follow those requirements, judgment will follow. And we're told that after Moses had died, Joshua came, took over as the leading of the people. After Joshua's death, we're told that shortly thereafter, a new generation came up and they didn't follow the word of the law. They didn't follow the word of the Lord because they had failed what Moses had so recently told them. Be sure you teach every generation. We're in the mess we are in the United States today because we failed uh, at some point to, to make sure we taught the Word of God so faithfully to every generation of people. And we're, we're reaping the benefits of that now, just as the, much like the Israelites did. The Jews had learned the hard way how desperately teaching every generation was needed because there came a time when God said, time is up. I've given you, I've reminded you, I've sent prophets to remind you. You have disobeyed me at every turn. And so he sent uh, invading armies that uh, destroyed, essentially destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. They took the southern kingdom of Judah captive into Babylon, and they were captive for 70 years. And so they had learned very, very, uh, in a very hard lesson what it means to disobey the word of God, didn't they? And so it was um, after the Babylonian captivity, when they came back, they rebuilt the temple, and they were able to continue the sacrificial offerings and things there. But they also began to establish the synagogues where they went beyond just a place of worship but a place of learning because they said we have, we've got to make sure we don't go down that path again of leaving off the Lord and following after false gods because that idolatry is what landed us in the land of Babylon for 70 years as captives. So they set up the uh, synagogues to make sure they had a place of learning where they could learn the word of God. History tells us that there were two categories. Not only Jews could go to the synagogues, but there were two categories of Gentiles or non-Jews who could go to the synagogues as well. One category were referred to as, as simply God-fearers, people who would acknowledge belief in the one true God. They could, they could um, join in a synagogue or they could attend a synagogue and listen to the teaching there. They would accept them as long as they believed in that one true God, which wouldn't have been easy in northern Greece, would it? Because we know that the Greeks at that time period believed in a whole pantheon of gods. But 
those who believed in the one true God were welcome at a synagogue. Uh, the second group that, of Gentiles that could go to a synagogue were proselytes. Those are the ones who had accepted all of the law of God. They had accepted the right of circumcision. Essentially, they had become Jews. There were Gentiles who said, we'll convert fully to Judaism. They were allowed to come as well. I mention that because when we look at Paul visiting the, the synagogues in the different cities he went to, sometimes he carried people with him who were not uh, Jews. Uh, even Timothy was not uh, fully a Jew. He had um, Grecian uh, or uh, Gentile blood in him. And so he was able to go with Paul because he did meet these qualifications. At least one of them, he believed in the one true God. He had not, I, I don't believe he had converted fully to Judaism, but he did believe in the one true God. And others may have been with Paul as well. So they went, were told, into the synagogue. So I hope that was helpful. That was a, a long introduction. Now we're going to talk about what we're here for, the nobility of these Bereans. What is it that made them uh, noble? And what can we learn from that? Paul and uh, his entourage, Paul and company, if you want to call it that, they'd already visited several cities in the area of Macedonia before they got to, to Berea. They had uh, visited Neapolis and uh, Philippi and Amphipolis and Apollonia and Thessalonica. Those are all tongue-tied names, aren't they? And now they come to Berea. It's their first time on European soil. They, these are men are from uh, much farther south in the land of Palestine. Uh, this is their first time on some unfamiliar ground. And yet there were some familiar things there because they're in, they're in uh, the, the area of Macedonia, the area of uh, the, the land of Philip of Macedon. The, the, the earliest of the Greek civilizations, and so they were Hellenized. You remember that term? Uh, where the, any, any place that accepted the Greek culture of life was considered to be Hellenized. And so they're, they're in an area that has accepted the Greek culture. Well, they were from an area that had accepted that as well. It was Palestine. Much of it was Hellenized. Even uh, in the, the land of, of Judah itself, there was a, a, an enormous amount of Greek influence in their culture. So that wasn't so unfamiliar to them. <coughs> they were still in a Roman colony. They had all grown up in a Roman colony. So that much was familiar to them. The, the currency, uh, the language, the culture, all of that was familiar to them. And so the, uh, also there's Jewish settlements in each of these cities. In order to have a synagogue, there had to be a, a certain number of Jewish people there. So there, even though it's the first time they're in Europe, there's still a lot of familiarity with them. And so that, that helps anyone, doesn't it? I'm sure it helps anyone on a missionary journey if there's something familiar when they get there. You remember the, the story of Brother Kenneth Cates when he first went to the Amazon? He didn't speak the language. He didn't know the currency. He knew nothing other than he said, the Lord's calling me. I can hear those people calling me. I can hear it with my ears. They're calling me to come down there. So he went. Well, Paul at least had a little bit of a benefit. He, he knew some things about the people he was going to. But there were still a lot of differences. <coughs> people, And that drove many of these people to reject the teaching. And that's why they ran into the trouble like they did at Thessalonica. They, they heard Paul teaching, but he was teaching some things that was just enough different to what they had learned growing up that they rejected it. What did that do to Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke and the others? It drove a greater reliance on the Lord, didn't it? The Holy Spirit, Paul was convinced that uh, the Lord through the Holy Spirit had given him that vision of that Macedonian calling and saying, come help us. And so he knew he was in the right place, 
But he knew also that they had to rely on the Holy Spirit to protect them and to lead them where he wanted them to minister. And that's why how they found themselves here in Berea. We're told that once they got to Berea, they went to the synagogue. That was Paul's practice. Whenever he went into one of these new towns, he would witness to the Jews first. And doesn't that make sense? Isn't that, wouldn't it make sense if you were carrying the, the message from the Word of God that you would go to the people who had had the Word of God all their lives? They knew the Old Testament Scriptures. There were people who went to synagogue week after week, so that, that place of learning, so they could learn the Scriptures. And all Paul was doing was telling them, your Scriptures have told you the Messiah was going to come. You've been looking for this all your life. I'm here to tell you He's already come. He's already come. He's already lived a sinless life for you. He, he came to seek and to save that which was lost, and He sent us here to tell you the good news of the Gospel. If you put your faith and your trust in Him, you can be saved. That's the message of Christmas, isn't it? And so He says, that's why we're here. And so it only made sense that He would go to the Jews in the synagogue first. If they rejected the message, then He could go outside of there. He felt He was clear uh, to go outside of it. When they got there to the Berean synagogue, they found the people were willing even uh, you get the sense they, would e they were even eager to hear the Word of God that Paul was, had brought to them. Luke's description, we'll, we'll look at it again there in verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They were easier to talk to. They were welcoming of the message. And that's what we're going to look at. There's three characteristics there that we see that uh, support the claim of their greater mobility. First is in verse 11, they received the Word with all readiness of mind. They didn't reject it. They didn't try to kick Paul out of the, the town. They simply received the message that he brought. The second characteristic, they searched the Scriptures daily. That's in verse 11 also, whether those things were so. They didn't just take what Paul said and say, okay, we accept that. Went, yeah, that's good. Sounds good. We'll, we'll, we'll change everything we're doing. They searched the Scriptures to see if what Paul told them lined up. And then the third characteristic, we see it in verse 12. Therefore, many of them believed. Not only did they listen to what Paul had to say, not only did they search the Scriptures to see if it was in agreement, they believed what he had to say. That made them more noble. I agree with that assessment, wouldn't you? I would agree with Luke's assessment. So let's look at, at those three characteristics a little closer just to see about uh, why they were, uh, Luke referred to them as noble. First, they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind. That term readiness of mind, it has the idea of, of that willingness, that eagerness. Like every time Paul's there, what is he going to tell us now? You ever have that eagerness? And a lot of times when, we, when a person is first saved, you've got that eagerness. You're sitting in church and you've got your Bible in front of you and you're flipping to every reference. You're making notes, you're highlighting, all of that. I remember when I was a young Christian, I would take notes. I would go home because I didn't have anything else to do. I was single, I was in college, or I was in high school at the time, I would go home and I'd, I'd pull my notes out, I'd look in my Bible, I would make sure that the, I'd written down the right thing. And how disgusting it is if you go, if you take notes and then you go back and you look in the Word of God and you think, that's not what that verse said. That, you, don't, you don't want to hear somebody like that, do you? But they had the Apostle Paul preaching and teaching them. And they could look back later and they could say, that's exactly what the Word of God says. How did I miss that? How did I not see that before? And so they were willing, they were eager to hear what he had to say. Their minds weren't gummed up with prejudice. And we read in the, in the New Testament, there were a lot of people that Paul met 
uh, from the synagogues, a lot of the Jews, their minds were just gummed up, weren't they? They were so prejudiced against anything Gentiles that if Paul ever said, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came to save everyone, anyone who will trust Him, they said, well, wait a minute. Those Gentiles, are not part of us. They're not part of God's chosen. And Paul would say, yes, they are. If they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they can be saved just like anyone else. So these people, they didn't have their minds gummed up with prejudice or self-righteousness or self-sufficiency. Paul also ran across some people that were self-righteous. Well, I've never sinned. Therefore, I don't need a Savior. Or people who were self-sufficient. Well, I don't need anything. Everything's looking good. i got a plenty to eat. What do I need to do? Any? Why do I need to change anything? These people weren't like that. They were prepared to give Paul's preaching very careful and very thoughtful consideration when he brought some, even though he was teaching them something different than what they had been taught before because they had been taught the Messiah is still yet to come. And Paul was saying, oh, he's already come. He's come and gone. He's in heaven now. And if you'll trust him, you'll be saved and he'll send the Holy Spirit to live within you and you will always be near to God. And so uh, they were willing to give that careful and thoughtful consideration. Listen, just a reminder. The gospel message never calls on us to believe something blindly. It doesn't call for blind obedience, does it? The Word of God says search. These people were, were honest enough. They searched the Scriptures. If, something, if Paul had said something to them that didn't sound quite right, they would look into the Old Testament Scriptures and say, okay, does it really line up with what he's saying? Is he really telling us what the Word of God says? The gospel message always comes with evidence. And if you don't, if you don't believe that, turn later to 1 Corinthians 15 and look at the, the evidence that Paul presented to the Corinthians to back up the gospel message. The truth never flinches at honest questions, does it? I'll tell you something. If you, if you ever run across a, t- a Bible teacher or a preacher who gets offended because you asked a question about something you didn't understand, just walk away from them because you can't help them. The, 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 the Word of God, it, it, it welcomes our questions. And the Lord says, if, you, if there's something you don't understand, ask. Seek in the Scriptures and it will be there. And that's what these, uh, these Bereans were doing. They were willing to accept some things. They were willing to accept an application of Scripture that went beyond their traditions. And that's what Paul was bringing. They were willing to accept that they didn't know everything. Paul was bringing them truth they'd never heard before. They hadn't heard that Jesus had come and that Messiah had been born. They hadn't heard the story of the wise men from the east that brought him gifts and worshipped him even as an infant. They hadn't heard that he had healed the sick, raised the dead, all of those things. Paul was able to share that with them and they were willing to accept. We don't know everything. There's some, this guy's got some stuff that we need to hear. And they were willing to accept that God's plan of salvation might just apply to someone other than themselves, other than the Jews. They were willing to accept those things. That's from very far-reaching conclusions that they came to after hearing Paul preach for a very short period of time. These were noble people. They were willing to accept the message. So they received the word with all readiness of mind. second thing we see about them there in verse 11 also, they searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. I like that about these guys. They were like, if something didn't make sense to them, they went right to the Word of God. They didn't go to their neighbor and say, well, that preacher says this, what do you think? They didn't get a, a Bible study together and say, 
This is what Paul says. What does that mean to you? And what does it mean to you? And what does it mean to them? They look directly into the Scriptures to see what the Scripture has to say because that's far more important than anything I had to say or anything any of us had to say, isn't it? Because it is God's Word. They were driven to bring any and all teaching that Paul might give them under the scrutiny, the direct scrutiny of the Scripture. Well, shouldn't we do the same thing? Isn't that, is, don't we learn from them, these noble Bereans, anything that can't withstand a comparison with God's Word is heresy, and we need to leave it off, doesn't it? Shouldn't we? If it cannot stand up to the Word of God, no matter who taught it to us, it's heresy. Any preacher or teacher who won't welcome you to look in the Scriptures and see if what they're telling you is accurate, they're suspect, aren't they? So we've got to be careful. Listen, I invite you. If I tell you something and it doesn't align with Scripture, you come tell me about it. Because I've obviously made a goof, a big one, if it doesn't align with Scripture, doesn't it? Uh, whatever their background, whatever the heritage, whatever the education, whatever someone's beliefs are, whatever their doctrines are, all of it has to align with Scripture or we need to walk away from it. We have, we have to remember that, don't we? Because when we, after we've heard a teaching, whatever it is, and we've compared it with Scripture and see how it aligns up, the best case scenario is what? We find out, yeah, what I believed was right. I'm on the right path. This is good. I'll continue to do this. The worst case scenario was we realized, oops, I've been wrong. I've been taught something that was wrong. It doesn't align with Scripture. I'm building my house, as it were, on a foundation of shifting sand. And I can't do that. I've got to make some changes. I've got to make sure that things do align with the Scripture. So and when you, if you hit that worst case, there's two choices. You can continue down the wrong path or you can make the changes. And these Thess- oh, they, not Thessalonians, these Bereans were noble enough to search the Scriptures to see if they were on the right path or not. And if they weren't, they were going to change. They were going to change what they believed, what they did. Uh, an honest evaluation, if, if we uh, try to align our, ourselves with the Scripture and everything that we believe, an honest evaluation will say sometimes we'll be between the best and the worst case scenario. Sometimes we'll see the I'm right on. Other times we'll say, oops. I need to make some changes. I need to make some course corrections. And that's okay. That's what the Lord wants us to do. And if, if, we, if there's sin in our lives and, we, and those scriptures pointed out, then we confess that to the Lord. We pick the pieces up and we move on in the right direction, don't we? So these uh, Bereans, they demonstrated then a tenacity for daily research. It says they search the scriptures daily. That's, that's, a, uh, that's a tall order to look into the Word of God every day uh, every time you hear someone teaching, you're preaching, you look into the Scriptures and make sure that it aligns. Paul's teaching was new to them, yes. He was teaching them some things they hadn't heard before. But there must have been some ring of truth to it because they took the time. They didn't just dismiss him outright. They said, something sounds right about this. Let's look into the Scriptures and see if it aligns. And so that's what they did. And yet even then, uh, they weren't gullible enough to just accept it. Even though there might have been a ring of truth, they weren't gullible enough to say, yeah, he's, he looks like a nice guy. They say he was, a, he was a Pharisee. He must be okay. So we'll just believe what he says. No, no, no. They said, we're going to look in the Scriptures. And we're going to have people come up, uh, come to us, uh, people with uh, some great, uh, wonderful pedigree. They went to the best seminary in the world and they tell us something and it doesn't align with Scripture. Do we believe it? No, we do not. We believe what the Scripture says, regardless of what kind of pedigree they have. Paul could have 
could have been the greatest of the Pharisees, but if he was telling them, teaching them heresy, they would have stepped away from him. They would have kicked him out of town, wouldn't they? So, uh, they, they weren't gullible enough to just accept anything. They searched the scriptures. Many of these people, I think, would have known the Old Testament scriptures very well, don't you think? People who had attended the synagogue year after year after year, that place of learning, um, they knew that the law regulated their lives. And they knew that the law promised them that if they obeyed, there would be multitudes of blessings for the people. If they disobeyed, there would be judgment. Their history showed them that. God had brought judgment on their nation more than once. And so they tried to obey the law, the, the law of God. The prophets had told them that there was coming a Redeemer. Uh, the, the Messiah was going to come. They knew that. Every generation of Jews had been looking for Him. And so they knew that, that He was coming and that when he came, he would deliver his people. And so their, their knowledge of that, that the Messiah was coming, it meant that anything Paul told them about the Messiah had to pass the litmus test when they compared it to Scripture. If he had told them anything about the coming Messiah that didn't align with Scripture, they would have just discounted it right then. But Paul didn't tell them anything that didn't align with Scripture. It confirmed When they searched the Scriptures, it confirmed everything that Paul had told them. They kept up this uh, relentless digging day after day after day to, to unearth the truth. And they weren't willing to believe anything false. But they were just as unwilling to continue on the path they were if Paul's new message was true. And so they, they sought the Scriptures and they, and they believed what Paul had brought them. Essentially, it boils down to this. The Bereans were willing to think. That's a big, that is a huge, tall order. Even in our country, isn't it? Getting people to think. How many of you would say when you went, I went to public school here in Alamance County, and I'm just going to say it, they did not teach us to think. They taught us all kinds of things, math and English and spelling and all of that, and then they gave us the answers to the tests. And the word problems in the books that would have taught us to think and apply the stuff, they said, well, you don't have to worry about the word problems. Just go through these equations. And so at the end of, a, of 12 years of education, I had not been taught to think the way I should be, to be able to apply the things that they had taught me. What do I do with this? It would have made so much more sense if people had just said, you need to learn this math because someday you're going to have to be able to calculate these things. And it will come in handy for you. They didn't teach us to think. Well, that these people in Berea, they were willing to think and apply the knowledge that they had from the Old Testament. They were taught a strict adherence to Judaism all their lives. They'd been taught that. Now they were faced with this broader, deeper application of the Scriptures that says this doesn't just apply to, to the nation of Israel. This applies to everyone. The, the Redeemer, the Messiah has come and He has come to seek and to save that which was lost from every culture, every color of people, every language, every country, anyone who will trust Him. And they were willing to accept that. It'd be foolish for them to, to reject something just because it wasn't familiar to them. It'd be, it's, it's ridiculous for us to do the same thing, isn't it? To just outright say, oh no, that can't be true because I've never heard it before. Boy, if we said that, if we took that approach, we wouldn't have cell phones, would we? Unless someone realized you could take something new, you could take a little technology and you could make something a lot better with it. These people were willing to think. If the Scripture truly included Paul's new teaching, 
they were going to be all over it, and they were going to accept it. They would find it as they searched the Scriptures. So we're told they, they receive the Word of God with all readiness of mind. They search the Scriptures daily. And the third thing that we see about them, the third characteristic, is they believed. We see that in verse 12. That term believe, it just simply means, in this context, to put your confidence in something. It's not just uh, an, a, an acceptance of facts, but to trust the facts. You see the difference? It's one thing for someone to say, that door over there will lead you outdoors. And then someone shouts, fire, and you try to crawl out this window right here. <laughs> Did you not believe that that door will take you outside and that's the quickest way to get outside? Well, yeah, I accept the fact. Well, put your trust in the fact and get out of the burning building, right? That's a, that's a ridiculous example, but that's what this word means. They believed. They were willing to believe that Jesus was the Messiah and that He could save them, and they were willing to put their trust in it. It means a, a reliance on something, not just that acceptance of information. And after hearing Paul and Silas preaching and after uh, searching the Scriptures, we're told in verse 12 that many of them believed. That seems to be a reference to the Jews who were in the synagogue. Many of them believed, but we're also told also of honorable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. So many of the Gentiles also believed what Paul had to preach. Were these people noble? Yes. They listened to the Word of God and they accepted it. Um, they searched the Scriptures to see if it was true and then they accepted The long and short of it, if we want to boil it all down, the long and the short of it we see in 1 Corinthians 1.21, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. Paul came in there and he said, I know you've been steeped in Jewish tradition. I've got a new message for you. It aligns with your Scriptures. You can find it right there in the Old Testament. The Messiah was coming. I'm here to tell you he's already come. And what other people would look at it, the foolishness of preaching, Paul simply said, Jesus Christ has come. He lived a sinless life for you. He died as a sinless sacrifice for every one of us. And when we put our faith in Him, we'll be saved. And when He did that, those people searched the Scriptures. They saw that what Paul was teaching them aligned with the Word of God. And they said, yeah, it would be foolish not to believe that, wouldn't we? And so they were willing to put their faith, their trust in Christ. Scripture calls these people noble because they were, they were willing to commit themselves to the truth that, that Paul taught. They were intelligent enough to recognize that they could have had something to learn from this new teacher. I'd like to be that intelligent, wouldn't you? When someone new comes, when a teacher comes and he's got information that I'm not familiar with, I want to be intelligent enough to recognize he could have something I need to learn, or she in that case depending on what the subject matter is. These people were sensitive enough to let the Holy Spirit guide their understanding. To be led by God to understand what Paul was teaching. They were sensitive to that. They were honest enough to recognize that the gospel of Jesus Christ meant some serious changes to their lives. They were used to, to, to fulfilling the law or trying their best to keep the law in an effort to try and win God's favor. But putting faith in Jesus Christ, they had to recognize that meant they were going to put their trust in what he did, not their trust in what they could do. Paul, I'm sure, told them, you can't win your, your way to God's favor. You can't be good enough to obey the law. He probably reminded them, you, you've, you've read the law, right? Thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that, thou shalt not this. If you break that law in any one point, you've broken the whole law. And every one of them would have had, would have had to say, oops, 
I've broken the law in more than one place, more than one time. And so Paul shared with them, there's going to be a change in your life. You're not going to be trying to earn God's favor anymore. You're going to accept God's favor because Jesus earned it for you. So they were honest enough to recognize that, and they were humble enough to say, I'm going to trust Jesus Christ, and I'm going to stop trying to earn my way, my own way to salvation. I'm just going to trust Christ and let, and let Him save me the way Paul says He was. That is New Testament nobility. That is the attitude that I would like to have. I think it's something we all should strive for, isn't it? To be that kind of people, to be that accepting of God's Word and that accepting of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank You for this message uh, from Your Word. Uh, The Bereans were more noble than the the Thessalonians. They were more noble than many that Paul and his, uh, his fellow missionaries had ever met and preach to. They were willing to uh, search the Scriptures. They were willing to listen intently to what He had to say. They were willing to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And that simple belief is what saved them. Nothing else. And Father, we pray that, uh, Lord, You would allow us to, to follow the leading of these noble Bereans, that, that we would hear Your Word, that we would be eager and willing to hear it, that we would search the Scriptures to make sure that it aligns with your word and that we would continue to put our faith in your word and in your promise. Lord, if there's anyone here who has never trusted Christ, we pray that uh, this would be the day they, they would follow that same path, that they would hear the message that Jesus Christ died for them. He made a provision for their salvation, that they would, they would reach that decision to believe on him and nothing else, to recognize only he can save. What a blessing that would be uh, to see souls saved here at this place, Father. We just pray that you would uh, continue to to bless this congregation as we leave to go our separate ways. Be with us. Uh, Bless this day. We pray that you bring us uh, again at the next appointed time. Thank you so much, Father, for your word. Thank you for your love for us and your concern for us and your working in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.